Well, we're almost done, Leviticus. We've got two more sermons uh, to, to finish out. Now, many of us know Benedict Arnold. It's become a name that is synonymous with treason. Uh, Benedict Arnold uh, was a officer in the American Revolution, never really felt like he got the credit that he deserved. He was drowning in debt. Uh, and so he offered his service to the British for hopes of rank and wealth and fame. And essentially, by the end of the Revolutionary War, uh, he really got none of those. And actually, Ben Franklin would say of him that uh, Judas would only sell one man. Arnold would sell three millions. Well, there's another individual uh, of treason in our country that we probably don't know very much about. His name is Martin James Monty. Uh, he believed that during World War II, the real threat was not Nazi Germany. He actually felt that the real threat to society was actually communist Russia. And he thought the best way to defeat communist Russia was actually through the power of the Nazi uh, army that existed. And so he enlisted in the army in, in 1942 in the Army Air Corps, uh, would steal a plane in 1944, would actually land in Nazi-occupied Italy at the time, uh, and then essentially make his defection uh, and begin to work for uh, the German army. He, he worked in the uh, propaganda department, he was on the radio for a while, and then he switched over to the SS unit, uh, where they would actually work on dropping leaflets on American soldiers and American POWs, basically saying, you know, you're not going to win this war, you know, join this side of Nazi Germany. Well, towards the end of the war, uh, Monty was actually caught in a Nazi uniform. He actually attempted to say that he was trying to escape as a POW. And so they pretty much gave him a suspension. He continued in the army for a little bit. Uh, but then by 1948, he had an honorable discharge. Well, by this point, the FBI had caught on to uh, who this individual was because he actually had changed his name. So they literally have the ceremony. And after the ceremony is over, the FBI arrests him um, and, and hold him accountable to the idea of treason. And so he was given 25 years uh, and a $10,000 fine uh, and eventually was put on parole in 1963. So this is the only known serviceman of the U.S. military during World War II that actually defected to the other side during this war. Uh, but the, the Constitution has defined it there. It's anyone owing allegiance to the United States, levies war against them, or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort within the United States or elsewhere is given of treason. And so if you are caught of treason, there's a minimum of a five-year sentence uh, and a minimum of a $10,000 fine, all the way up to the maximum penalty, which may be death. Okay? So treason against the United States is an extremely serious violation. Uh, we look at that and say, you know, if you are willfully going against this country, if you are actively working against it, we are going to hold you accountable to that. Because, again, we cannot function as a society if people are willingly going against the country of the United States. Um, and so uh, hold on to that thought, because as we finish out uh, the last two sermons and as we talk today, um, we're going to talk about what treason looks like for us and what treason looked like for the Israelites during this time. 
Now, last week, Jason had talked to us about the most sacred, important day, the Day of Atonement. As I said, everything is building to that point in Leviticus. Uh, And so the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would make these sacrifices on his behalf, on the behalf of the Israelites. And essentially, this would offer them forgiveness uh, for their sins. And we now understand that, again, Christ is our day of atonement, right? That Christ has come. He's died for us. He's covered over the sacrificial system. He's covered over our sins, right? And and the veil has been torn and we no longer have to to go into the Holy of Holies once a year, but we can always enter into the presence of God himself. Uh, And because of that, Romans 10 tells us that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved, right? So, so we no longer have to make the sacrifices anymore. That if we make a confession of faith to Christ, if we believe that, that he's our Lord and Savior, we are saved. And so that's the joy that Christ has brought to us. But that's what the whole point of the sacrificial system was trying to do, was again, lead us to this pot in history. And so now... We come towards the end of the book of Leviticus here. And remember, Leviticus is part of the wider book of Exodus. Remember, God comes to Moses uh, and he says, here are the laws. And again, what is he telling him to do? He says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, that of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And the whole earth is mine and you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak. Right. So 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 I need you to be holy. I need you to be holy because I'm holy and I need you to be holy because the world needs to see my holiness because the world needs to know who I am. And so he puts this out in front of the Israelites and he says, here's all the ways for you to be holy. Here's how it is that you are going to obey me. And so God makes these covenants and a covenant is a promise. And if you've never heard that term, it's this idea that there's a relationship exists right between you and I. And so I make a promise to you. And in the covenant, the idea is that I'm protecting uh, other people. Whereas a contract when I sign, right? So if I make a deal with somebody, somebody's going to come and fix my house and we we work out a contract. The idea is is that I want to be protected. So there's a reason why we use a marriage covenant and we don't come to a wedding and say, here is the marriage contract. Because in a covenant, it is my desire to serve and honor and bless the other person, where again, the contract says, this is all about me and my actual protection. And so God makes several covenants. He makes a covenant with Adam and Noah and Abraham and David. And so when he makes a covenant with Adam, he, he says, listen, you're, you're going to rule over society. and You're going to be in the garden and, and, and don't eat of this tree. But then they go and they eat of the tree. And so God comes in and he says to the serpent, he says, listen, I will destroy you. That from the seed of a woman, I am going to destroy you and the power of sin. So that is a promise that God makes to Adam. Well, man continues and man is wicked at this point. And so so God brings the flood and he destroys society, but he saves Noah and he saves Noah's family. And he makes a covenant and a promise to Noah. And he says, listen, he says, I will never flood this world again. And he said, the sign of that promise is the rainbow, that every time you see that rainbow, you will be reminded that I made a promise that I will not do again what I just done. And then time passes and he calls Abraham and he calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, you you are going to be the father of many nations through you. The world is going to be blessed. 
And I'm going to give you a piece of land that is going to be yours. And so he makes this covenant and this promise to Adam. And he continues to reiterate that. And he comes to King David. And then he says to King David, he says, David, I'm going to make a covenant with you. That through your line is going to come the king of the world. That through your descendants, David, there's going to be a king who rules justly forever. I am going to make that promise with you, David. And so all of these are unconditional covenants. And when I say unconditional, it means we have to do nothing to fulfill them. God is going to fulfill them all on his own. But he does make a conditional covenant. And this is the covenant that he makes with Moses. We call it the Mosaic Covenant. And this covenant follows what's known as the uh, Suzerain Vassal Treaty. So in, in ancient times, typically the, the nation or the king that was superior would make a treaty with those underneath of him. It would make a treaty with servants. And a lot of times this was usually made after a war. And he says, listen, here's the deal of what we can do. All right. I'm going to lay out these rules, and as long as you abide by them, then we won't have an issue. But if you can't uphold this treaty, here's going to be the problem with that. And typically, these types of treaties followed a normal process. And we actually see that process in Exodus. And so the first thing they do is they lay out the preamble, which basically says, who are the people involved in this treaty? And so God says to Moses, who represents Israel, he says, this is the treaty between me and you, Israel. And then they, they lay out a historical relationship. What has happened that is now bonding them together? And he says, look, I, I called Abraham. And remember, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who brought you out of slavery. That is the history that exists. And then we go into the stipulations. Now, here's all of the rules. And so this is what all of Exodus is about. The Ten Commandments, the building of the tabernacle. This is what all of Leviticus is about. These are all of these laws of stipulations, Israel. And then there's the witness, God and Moses, again, who's representing Israel. You are the witnesses to this treaty. And then at the very end of these treaties would have been the blessings and cursings. That if you follow them, here's what's going to happen. But if you break those laws, you break those rules, here's going to be the consequences for that. So that way everybody was clear and then everybody would give approval to this. And so now this is where we come in Leviticus 26. We are at the very bottom part of that treaty. Where are we at with the blessings and curses of the Mosaic law? And so again, God has called them to be holy. He's called them to be different. And in 26, 1 to 3, he says, Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves. Do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my command, there will be blessing. That's how he, he, he lays out the beginning of these stipulations, right? So if you follow my rules, guys, you're going to be blessed through this. And so what are all of the blessings? Starting in verse four here. He says, I will send you rain in its seasons and the ground will yield its crops and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest and grape harvest will continue until planting and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in the land. I will grant you peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. 
I will remove savage beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make more room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your heads held high. Guys, if you, if you obey me, I, I will fill your fields. I will fill your barns with so much stuff that you can't even get through it by the next time the next season comes along. And, and, and just a small number of you will rout your enemies. You don't ever have to worry. You, you don't have to worry about the lions and, and the snakes that slither on the ground. I will protect you from all of that. And I will be with you. I will be your God. If you will just obey. Let me just stop for a moment because I know sometimes people look at this and go, this sounds very much like prosperity gospel, Adam. That what you're telling me is that if I just obey God, God gives me everything that I want. Well, first off, we're not talking about spiritual eternity here. We're talking about material blessing. Okay? You cannot earn your spiritual eternity. That has to be absolutely clear. And a prosperity gospel makes the end result all about the material blessings that I get. Our end result should be the glorification of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The second thing we need to understand is that the only reason why God is offering this deal is because he is a good and gracious God. He does not have to offer anything to the Israelites. He doesn't have to give them anything, but out of his goodness, he chooses to allow that to be a part of his covenant. And the last thing is we have to remember, we have to understand that this conditional covenant has already come off the heels of his unconditional covenants. He's already made a promise that he's going to save the world and eradicate sin, and he's going to bring a savior for the entire world and the whole world be blessed. So he's already made these unconditional covenants that now this conditional one is really very much just a, a response of our worship to what God has already promised. So this is not prosperity gospel at all. This simply is just a reminder of how good God is to his children. But then we come to verse 14. He says, but if, but if, my children, if you do not follow through, if you do not hold this promise that I'm giving to you, if you do not obey, if you, if you fail to make the sacrifices, if you fail to love me, if you, if you violate my commands, if you disrespect me, if you disrespect other people, then we're going to have an issue. And instead of blessing it'll be cursing. And he says, but if you will not listen to me and carry out these commands, if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all of my commands and so violate my covenant, 
then I will do this to you. Here's the deal, guys. I just told you what's going to happen if you obey. But if you disobey, this is what I promise you. I promise you this is what's going to happen. And so he, he offers this kind of escalation of cursing that goes on. And I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but he, he starts there in 16 and he says, look, sudden terror is going to come upon you and disease is going to start to come upon you and your enemies are going to start to come upon you. I'm going to start to make life very uncomfortable for you. And if that doesn't work, I will break your pride and I will cause the crops to not grow. I will start to bring drought upon this land. And if that fails, I'm going to bring the wild animals back. I'm going to have the lions terrorize you. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to start to send plague upon you. I'm going to get you really sick here that it's very obvious that you have done something wrong. And if that doesn't work, we get to 27. And in 27 there, he says, you will eat the flesh of your sons and daughters. I will make it so bad that you will get so desperate that you will get to the point where you want to eat your own children. And there will be famine in this land. And if that doesn't work, then the enemies will come and you will scatter the land. The land itself will enjoy the rest from you. But you will be out of there. Remember two weeks ago when I talked about violating the relationships in chapter 18? He says that if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. See, this becomes the last great curse for them because they're like, wait a minute, God, you're you're going to send me out of of this land? God, you, you made an unconditional promise to me that said you would give us this land. God, we we can't be out of your presence. You can't send us away. God, you said we would be your children and that you would be our God. You can't do this to us. And God says, yes, I can. Because these are the rules. That if you violate my laws and you refuse to obey, I will cast you out of my presence. So he makes an unconditional promise to give them the land, but now he makes a conditional promise here of what's going to happen. And he stresses the the covenant here because these are the rules. If you violate these rules, that is an act of treason. Remember how we started in 26. He says, don't have any idols, observe the Sabbath, and revere my sanctuary. You are making a promise that you are going to honor and worship me. And if you fail to uphold that, if you start turning to other gods, essentially that is an act of treason because you are actively working against my holiness. And so those punishments are going to come eventually to the place where we cast you out. So so how does God fulfill this, though? How does he fulfill an unconditional and conditional promise at the same time? Well, now we come to verse 40. He says, but if they will confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, their treachery against me and their hostility toward me, which made me hostile towards them so that I sent them into the land of their enemies. Then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land 
For the land will be deserted by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it is, lies desolate without them. They will pay for their sins because they have rejected my laws and abhorred my decrees. Yet in spite of this, while they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject or abhor them. So as destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am the Lord, their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. And I am the Lord. If you break my law, there's going to be consequences. But you know what I know? I made a promise to you. I made a promise of blessing and land and freedom. I promised you freedom from sin and death. I promised that, yes, you would be my children. And that I would dwell among you. But there has to be consequences. Because if there's not consequences, then I am not a just God. But at the very same token of me being a just God, I am also a good and gracious and loving and forgiving God. That is also part of my character of who I am. So if you are able to humble yourselves, if you are able to come before me and acknowledge your sins, if you are able to recognize how you committed an act of treason against me, then I will forgive you and I will bring you back. And I will welcome you back into my arms. It's almost like as God is saying, look, there's the timeout chair. That's where you got to be. And you can hem and haw. But when you're ready to come back and say you're sorry, God says, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And so he makes this promise to Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and David. And, and he says, I will uphold my promise because I'm a faithful God. I am trustworthy to who I am. So, so the point of all of these laws we need to realize then is, is this, that, that God is not disciplining his children out of vengeance. God is not setting up this rules because he's a spiteful God that wants to destroy people. The point of God's discipline is to point people back to him. He's trying to tell his children, I want you to see what life is like outside of my presence so that way you will desire to be back in my presence. I, I want you to move from the cursing back to the blessing. I don't want you to stay there. I, I, I want you to move from death back into life. That's my desire. That, that's why we have these laws, so you see what it's like on the other side. That way you know how good and just and loving I am. And it's the same thing that we see in the book of Hebrews. God disciplines us for our own good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and a peace for those who have been trained by it. We've all experienced difficulties because of our own sins. We all know what it's like that when we were as kids, we made a mistake and our parents had to punish us. We, nobody liked that. But the point of our parents doing that was to point us back to what is appropriate and what honors God, to be able to be individuals that, that would live lives to the fullest. But see, this is the problem that still exists, though. That even though that this was a conditional promise, that if they obeyed, God would give blessing. Here's the reality. The Israelites could not uphold that promise. Yeah, they, they might have wandered and come back and God would have blessed and they would have wandered and blessed, but they were always going to keep wandering. 
And God would always have to continue to punish his children. Till eventually the Israelites would receive that curse where they would be exiled into captivity by the Babylonians and have to serve that time before God brought them back. And as part of this promise, God speaks to both the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And he says, I'm going to make another covenant. I'm going to make another covenant that's going to cover over this conditional one. All my unconditional promises still hold. But this conditional one, I'm going to make a new one. Because I know you can't follow through with your part of the deal. And so he makes an unconditional promise. And here's what it says in Ezekiel. He says, I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from the countries and bring you back in your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from all idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He said, look, I get it. You guys can't uphold this. So I'm going I'm to... I'm going to make a new deal. I'm going to put a law in your heart. I'm going to put a spirit in your heart that moves you to obey because you can't do it on your own. And that same promise holds for the Israelites just as much as it holds for us today. This new covenant that God makes, this new promise was just as much for the Israelites as it is for us today. Romans 3.20 tells us that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So he, he puts out the Mosaic Covenant. And, and the point of that is to say, look, all I'm trying to tell you is you guys, you guys are sinners. All I'm trying to tell you is that through the law, you're not going to be righteous because you can't uphold the law. All I'm telling you is, is that you're really bad people and you need something else. That's the point of the law. And so just as the Israelites were lawbreakers, so are we. But in Romans 6, 14, he says, but see, you're, you're not under the law anymore. Now you're under grace. That law of stone is no more. I'm giving you a new law. I'm giving you a new spirit, a new heart that's on the flesh. And it comes through grace upon our hearts through Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells us that because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. See, this new covenant, this new promise was fulfilled now in Christ. And Christ was going to uphold this new covenant for us. And in Romans 8, it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. When we follow God, there is blessing. When we follow God, there is material blessing. That does not go away. That is all throughout his scriptures. But you and, ever, but you and I could never fully obey what God has called us to do. And we would constantly be punished. And he said, I don't want to keep punishing my children anymore. I, I want to save my children. I want to bring them into my presence forever. 
And so I'm going to send Christ to fulfill the obligations of the law and to die for your sins, to cover over that old covenant. And I made a new one with you, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And that is the spirit that will now lie within your heart. And last week, Silas stood up here and he said, Dad, Dad, there's, there's got to be somebody else. He said, Dad, what if there was a person? Dad, what if there was a high priest? Dad, Dad, what if there was a perfect lamb that we'd never have to go through this again? Dad, what if, Dad, what if, Dad, what if? And Christ said, there is. And I am that man. And I am that high priest. And I am that lamb. That I have done away with the sacrificial system of the law that no longer needs to be upheld because Christ has upheld it for us. So 26 is this. Here's the deal. God gives us the laws. And he says, if you obey, there will be blessing in your life. There will be blessing and there will be joy in this world. And if you follow me, you will have, you will have eternal life. But if you disobey, there will be consequences and there's punishment. And if you continue to reject my discipline, if you continue to ignore me, and if you continue to cast me off and say, you are not my God and you refuse to humble yourself and you refuse to seek forgiveness for your sins, then the only thing that we have left is annihilation. And instead of being in the presence of God's heavenly kingdom, you will be cast aside from him, separated into the eternal fires of hell for all of eternity. But because you and I can't uphold that law, he said the only way to be free from annihilation, the only way to find salvation from the law is through Jesus Christ, who is the guarantee of the new covenant. And so when we look at things like the law, we don't get mad at God, but it is a reminder to us of how good and how gracious he is. Because he didn't have to make a new covenant. He didn't have to send his son to the cross for us. But he did because he loves us as his own children. Let's pray. Lord, you desire holiness. You desire for us to, to follow your commands. Again, we... We are a witness and a testimony to this world, but Lord, you are so good because no matter how many times we try to do right, we will always fail and we will always do wrong and we will sin and we will commit acts of treason against you. But instead of just casting us to death, we praise you, God, that you are willing to grant us life. Though we don't deserve it, you give it to us. So may we heed to the spirit of what the spirit calls and may we joyfully live knowing that you have paid for the sins and you have paid for our death. Amen.